All right, well, let's open up to uh, John chapter, or sorry, Revelation chapter 20, written by John. And so um, as we look at the book of Revelation and see that uh, it's got a, a, a major time frame that it kind of sticks with, a time frame of history that it sticks with, that it talks about, what's that, what's that time frame that we generally see repeated over and over in the book of Revelation? Yeah, ascension to second coming, so first to second advent, if you want to think of it that way, you know, is, is first appearing, um, uh, or, or sorry, um, his first, um, sorry, I shouldn't say first to second advent, that's not right, um, his, his, his ascension um, to his return. So leaving the earth and us being here and then coming back. And most of Revelation is there. And then, and so John is given all these different visions, lots of different visions, you know, and so he says, and then I saw, and I saw, you know, and those are all, um, here's another vision. And he then reports what he saw in the vision. And sometimes the visions are things that have happened already. Like chapter five, he gets a vision of Jesus ascending into heaven um, from Acts one. But John's sitting there at AD 95. So he's like 65 years after this happened. But nonetheless, he's given a vision of when that happened and what that looked like. Um, and then some of the visions, uh, a lot of the visions John's given are what's going on right now. Um, in the heavenly realms, what's going on right now? Or sometimes those same events, then John turns around and says, and on the earthly realms, symbolically, here's what's happening down on the earth. Um, it's like there's a beast who's dominating people. Um, and, and so that, that beast, you know, being, you know, Roman government or another beast, uh, those who promote the government as your, um, what meets your needs as opposed up and against to, um, God who meets your needs. Um, yeah. So, um, but occasionally John in the book of revelation goes before the ascension and occasionally he goes after the ascension. Uh, and so, uh, chapter 19, and there's usually one place in Revelation where we say, you know, of all places that hit this little, you know, micro time frame, here's one. So um, chapter 19 hits the um, really uh, uh, spends a lot of time on one little one little thing um, of this of these events that that John's talking about. What does chapter 19 talk talk about mostly? Final battle. Final battle. So Jesus comes back in final battle. So we see these descriptions of final battle there. Um, and then we get to chapter 20. And he starts chapter 20 with what? What's he say? And I saw. So what's that mean? Another vision. And so you say, you, whoop, reset. You know, the, the commercial and the final credits happened. You know, final credits, commercial. And then there are more actors on the screen. Okay, and you say, this is a different show. 
um, and you're not streaming, so it's not you're not binging, but um, <laughs> but it's a different show. And so you get to chapter 20, and so we talked about uh, this here, 20, uh, one through uh, one through three here, um, and when what's being described there in terms of time time frame? What's when's this when's this happening? Yeah, after Jesus' ascension. And so this is, um, uh, Jesus ascends, war in heaven. Who's cast down? Satan. Satan's cast down. He's cast down to where? He's, so no longer is his base heaven like in the book of Job, but now his base is where? The abyss. The abyss, yeah. Um, and, you know, we don't say that's any particular physical place, um, but it's just, the abyss, but it's not, he's not in heaven. He's cast down. Um, and in chapter 12, we saw this same thing described a little bit more. Um, uh, cast, cast down and heaven rejoices because now Satan and his demons are not home-based up there. Okay, so we live on earth home-based amongst unbelievers, amongst those who are against God. Um, and um, now heaven with the ascension of Jesus wars happened in heaven chapter 12 and, and Satan and his demons were cast down. So that's, that's referred to again in one through one through three. Um, in what it tells us in verse three there, um, when Satan and his demons were thrown into the abyss, um, they were locked and sealed, uh, in there, but it wasn't a complete ceasing of their activity. What specifically can they not do? Yeah, deceive the nations, and and it's the elect from the nations. Um, we know that some people are not being deceived when God regenerates them, and they believe in Jesus during this era. Uh, but um, generally, the nations are being deceived, and so this coincides with Jesus telling his disciples in Matthew uh, 7, 13, and 14 that the gate is small and, and the road is narrow, or that, um, sorry, the gate is small and the road is narrow that leads to life. Uh, but, but wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter through it into destruction. Um, and so this is shown in a symbolic way here that uh, Satan is uh, kept from deceiving the nations. Bonus points, if you remember this, where does Jesus talk about Satan being bound during his incarnation? Strong man parable. Yeah, the strong man parable. Okay, so if, if you, you can't plunder the house of a person, you can't steal his stuff unless you first bind him. If he's a strong man, okay. But if you bind the strong man, you know, and then you can plunder his house. Um, double bonus points if you know what chapter in scripture we're in with that. Matthew twelve, and so Matthew twelve um, connects up with this. Jesus talks about he's binding the strong man and plundering his house. He's pulling people, like Jude says, snatching people from the fire. That's what Jude tells his audience. You know, keep proclaiming the gospel, snatch people from the fire, um, and you know, snatch them, you know, figuratively from hell, from where they would go, um, the lake of fire. Um, okay, um, and then at the very end of uh, verse three, um, 
So, how, sorry, middle of verse three. How long is Satan bound from deceiving the nations in total? Thousand thousand years. Um, so yeah, um, and um, uh, what are a thousand? How do we take a thousand years knowing Scripture? A long time. A long time. Yeah. Uh, where do we see that specifically? That to the Lord, a thousand years. Yeah. Is that a Peter thing? Yeah, it's a Peter thing. Second Peter three. So Second Peter three is one of these key passages where you can. I don't have it up there. Where you can look at the new heavens and new earth, the second uh, coming of Jesus, and how that's going to be like the, the flood with Noah. Except this time, instead of water, it's going to be fire. The whole earth will be consumed with fire, um, Peter says there. Okay, um, and so um, uh, Peter says there, you know, there are those who are mocking you now. Peter says this in, in A.D. 66, 67 um, there, um, because you believe Jesus will come back. He will come back. And I know that the mocking that you're receiving is because everything just appears to be going on just like it always has. That's what they're saying to you. That's what the mockers are saying to you. And Peter says, I remind you, that's what the mockers said to Noah. Because it wasn't raining while he was building the ark. <laughs> it didn't rain and flood until the ark was built and Noah was on the ark. And so that's what Peter says the second coming will be, um, which fits all our other stuff about no one knows the, the coming of it and Jesus teaching that it'll be like the days of Noah. That's what Jesus says. Okay. Um, but then it, at the end of that thousand years, what is, uh, what is John told or what does John tell us there? Yeah, set free for a short time. So you have a long period, a thousand years, in which Satan is bound from deceiving the nations. Um, the gospel's going out. Uh, fifth, fifth seal, uh, Revelation 6, 11 and, uh, 10 and 11, that uh, the, the dead souls in heaven who have been martyred, killed for their faith, say, how long, O Lord, until um, you avenge our blood? And Jesus says what in return? How long will it be? All the until all your brothers are gathered. All the chosen are gathered. Gathered. So there are your brothers down there, elect of, of the Father, for whom I died, who have not believed yet. And so he tells them, "Be patient." Uh, that's the word to us too. Be patient. Jesus is still gathering his elect. He's still saving people that the Father chose and whose sins were in Jesus' body on the cross. Um, and so, um, and then, and then he'll come. Um, so after that, uh, Satan must be free, set free after this long period where we say, how long, O Lord? Satan set free for a short time. What happens during this short time? And keep in context, look down in your Bibles. What happens during the short time Satan is set free after the thousand years where Jesus is gathering in his elect? the father's elect final battle. final battle 
Yep. Um, so Satan's set free for a short time, and John has talked about it in uh, chapters 16, 17, 18, um, that, that, that the nations gather together um, against, uh, against the church, against the people, and, and final battle occurs there. Okay, so see how this all fits together? It's just different sets of figurative language addressing the same um, order of events that are happening. And we don't get all tied up and say every time a different figure or illustration is used, it must be a different thing. And, and that's why in some um, systems of quote-unquote end times, and we remember in Acts 2, Peter said we're in the end times. <laughs> so the thousand years are the end times. Think whole book of scripture. The end times are the time between Jesus' ascension and his return. Um, it's it's the, 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 the end, the last things God's doing in this era of, of history. Okay. Um, but yeah, this, this uh, uh, final battle happens at the, at the end here. Okay, any questions about that before we go on to verse 5? That's kind of consolidating what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Okay, I know that's a, a lot, but just, uh, you know, and, and when you're in other end-time systems, and that end-times is misdefined, typically what you find on Christian radio and the Christian bookstore, Christian TV, is this uh, teaching where every new illustration, every new figure, every new vision is a separate new thing. And so that's why they have charts and graphs, and it's very complicated, and you make lots of money if you sell, when I was growing up, your cassette tapes. <laughs> um, but it's very complicating. If you talk to anybody who's been in that growing up, they say, oh, yeah, the charts and graphs. Ask Carl when he comes in this morning. He had lots of charts and graphs because you, you got to keep it all straight because you've got so many things. But it's really not hard. Jesus ascends. The church is persecuted. Jesus descends, defeats his enemies, brings them to judgment in their defeated state, um, tosses those whose names are not in the book of life into the lake of fire, and, and brings those whose names are in the book of life into the new heavens and new earth, which he's recreated. That's it. That, that's the, the, scope of, the scope of history from Jesus' resurrection on. And everybody, everything fits in that. Um, and so we don't have to get all, all complicated with that. We say, when we see a new image, we say, where might this fit with what I already know so that I don't create a new doctrine? And, and we remember this too. Jesus told parables that were about farming and simple lending that everybody could understand. And when things get too com when an explanation of something gets too complicated or too nuanced, it's probably wrong. You know, a version of Occam's razor a little bit. The, the, the simplest explanation makes sense because God's talking to people. He's not talking to PhD scholars who don't know how to converse with people. <laughs> the Rubik's Cube record was broken yesterday or the day before. Did you see that? Three point something seconds. Uh, and the, the, the person who did it was full blown autistic. Um, I, I don't know. 
Yeah. And so, you know, and I said to my mom, I said, yeah, when you have that, you've got social connections that aren't there. That's, that's the price to pay, to pay for that, you know, massive math and calculation and logic skills, massive. Um, I, Betsy was reading about NASA and, you know, it's like most of the science engineers at NASA are on our Asperger's syndrome, which is middle, uh, middle level autism there, but it just, it enabled, if you're not thinking socially, then you can do that logic and math, you know? Um, anyway, okay. So uh, Satan set free for a short time. Um, and then you've got another verse four. How's he start this out? I saw. I saw. Okay, so there you go. Probably another vision. We see, I saw. Otherwise, it just would have continued on from the and I saw up above in verse, up above in verse one. Um and uh, we, uh, so let's just, let's read here. We'll start with Emily and, and then uh, go with Allie and, and down Spencer Row there. <laughs> so starting in verse four. I saw thrones in which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That's a big verse. <laughs> okay. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay. So a lot of difficult stuff here. And um, a lot of churches depart denominationally based on what we see. Um, a little bit in the, the first three verses, but a lot of it in, in uh, verses four, um, four through six here. Um, so let's let's start from the bottom just to take a note to give us context of where John is going as he sees this. Um, those who are reigning with uh, Christ, um, when are they reigning? In what time frame are they reigning with Christ? Yeah, now. And what's the language there that tells us it's now? Okay, okay, good. Uh, the souls, so they're they're disembodied uh, for a thousand years. Okay, so that's the, that's the time frame thing, and and but Charlene, you got at it at, at uh, very intelligent ways there. <laughs> um, but same thing. So um, we'll reign with him for a thousand years, and so this is describing the thousand years. Okay, so we keep keep that in mind. Um, as John's writing this, um, what he saw starting in verse, starting in verse four, the things that he saw, um, that, that begin in verse four. Um, and so, uh, the first sentence there, what's it tell us? And you don't have to try to interpret who this is. We'll find that out later as it describes it, but so verse four. Okay, very good. So there are thrones. John sees thrones. And um, there were um, those who'd been given authority to judge. Um, so we'll just, you know, hold that in the air. 
right now, but just say, okay. So during this thousand years, um, there are thrones um, for those who have been given authority to judge. And then uh, what else does John see? Souls of people who were martyred. Okay, so now it helps us to realize what was going on with John's original audience. Um, AD 95, uh, what was happening to Christians that really is the, the impetus for God writing this book to John to share with the churches? Yeah, they're being martyred. They're being killed for their faith. And so we can go back. I mean, just keep your finger here and go back to chapter six. I keep mentioning it. So let's just look at it. So chapter six, um, John's been looking at the at heaven in chapter five or chapter four and chapter five. Chapter four um, seems to be God, the father there in heaven being glorified. And uh, that's chapter four. And then chapter five, Jesus shows up. And the question was, who's worthy to you know, take the scroll and open its seals? Um, and then Jesus shows up and the heaven declares he is worthy. Jesus is worthy to open, to take the scroll and to open the seals because he's bought the scroll with his blood, which ties into our understanding. This, this scroll is the book of life on which the names of the elect are written. Because what does Jesus buy with his blood? He buys the elect. That's the word redeem. To redeem is to buy back. That's what redeem means. So Jesus is our redeemer. He buys us back um, from our lost state since the days of Adam. So he buys some people back um, with at the cost of his blood. Um, and then, um, then we read chapter 6. What are these seals? And in chapter six, um, these seals start to get broken. And so the, the, um, the overall thing, we won't go through all this here, but uh, Jesus is uh, uh, breaking all the seals so that he can open the scroll, the book of life, and read all the names. And so when he breaks the seventh seal, it has seven seals on it, he can start reading the names. So what event is going to happen as Jesus breaks the seventh seal? Judgment. Final judgment. Uh, but until that time, all these other things are happening. And so you got like wars. Or, you know, one of, the, one of the seals is the first seals. Jesus is riding about conquering uh, the rider on the white horse. And he's conquering with the gospel. Okay, He's, he's breaking in to Satan's house. Uh, the gates of hell have not... Uh, uh, um, um, prevailed against Jesus. And Jesus is going through the gates of hell and and pulling people out. Now, these are people still living. That's a figurative language. But he's going and, and he's conquering people. He's conquering our rebellious souls. That's all of us. And bringing us to bringing us to faith. Okay. And then you got wars, rumors of wars, um, strife, disease, pestilence, all kinds of stuff going on during our era. So just because Jesus is sitting on his throne, we should not expect things to be peaceful on the earth or disease to be gone on the earth. Um, and so that's what this is telling the people in AD 95. Even though your life is chaos right now and you feel very threatened by all the stuff going on around you, 
know that Jesus is on the throne and this is just what's happening until they can open that seventh seal. Get that? How that, what this is, what this means for those who are writing or reading it. And then you get to um, verse uh, um, nine. So it's nine through 11. Um, and let's, let's read that. So Brenda, would you read verse nine and then John 10 and, and Elijah 11. Okay, so you, you see that 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 description there. So there are souls who, and what's what's happened? Where, where first of all, where are they? Where are these dead souls? <coughs> in heaven, yeah, and where in heaven? Yeah, around the throne of Jesus. Okay. But you see the bowling alley? No, I said under the pole. That's, and that's how I always picture it. <laughs> yeah. I read, uh, maybe yeah. because it's the new American standard I'm reading or something. Yeah. yeah. I always, every time I hear read that, I just kind of they said all under the silly picture of that. That's yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh, now, verse 9 says, The souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. The testimony... We believe in Jesus. He's our king. He is God. I will not bow down and declare, um, I always want to say Diocletian. Uh, Domitian. I will not declare the Roman emperor Domitian divine. I will not worship him. That's their testimony that they're maintaining. Okay? Now, just keep, keep your fingers there and look back at verse 20, or chapter 20, what we had read. Um, Second sentence of verse four. Um, who's John see in that vision? The souls of yeah, souls of believers who have been beheaded. Okay, now I, I'm sure. Uh, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure. I'm, but I'm sure. Uh, you know what I mean. Uh, I'm sure this is not. They all died the same martyr's death. Um, you know, different martyrs' death. James was killed with a sword. Peter was uh, hung on a cross upside down, most likely. Some were killed by lions and, you know, wild animals in the Roman Colosseum. Uh, but some were probably beheaded. But this is... So, so we make this connection. We say this is the same thing, just a different vision. But it's this, substantively, it's the same. It's souls who are dead in heaven who have died for their faith um, and they're around the throne of Jesus. Now, just to get this to you for the, your sake of understanding the book of Revelation as a whole. Book of Revelation as a whole is writing to those who are deciding, am I going to admit my faith in Jesus, refuse to worship the Roman emperor, and die for it? That's why the book of Revelation is being written for these people. And John is showing them, God is showing them through John, Here's the way you navigate that. You keep your testimony and you die. And if you die, verse 9 of 6, 9 and 24, if you die for your faith, 
your soul will be with Jesus. So as Paul says in, in uh, Philippians 1.23, um, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And so this is why the book of Revelation is written. Lose your life for the sake of your faith because you're just going to be with Jesus. Don't fear. Jesus is ascended. Chapter 5. Jesus is on the throne. He is sovereign. And he's in control of all this chaos. He's the one breaking the seals. He's over that. He's sovereign over all this chaos that is happening. And if you should lose your life for your testimony of faith in Jesus, um, and chapter 12 says, you know, the, it talks about those who do this. Uh, they did not love their lives so as to shrink from death. So they love Jesus more than they love their physical life. And that's the encouragement to patiently endure and to keep your testimony of faith um, uh, in this. And so this is what John is showing, that um, there are dead souls who are in heaven who are safe and sound. And, A.D. 95, your friends who have been martyred in the church, they're okay. They're with Jesus now. Take comfort. Okay, Matthew. Is it, okay, it would it be okay to extrapolate that this is probably the best example of God's or Jesus' fundamental fairness? Because what would be more fair than someone who's been murdered for believing to then subsequently judge those who, you know, murdered them? Yes, absolutely. Um, we see we see that in Scripture um, that those who have been judged, and this is this is the point of Jesus being the final judge. That the Father has given all judgment to Jesus, um, which is uh, John five um, twenty two and twenty seven. That the Father has given all judgment to Jesus, and and right after that he says that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father, um, and so. You know, Jews who have rejected Jesus, who are you know honoring the Father, um, they will be, they will have to honor the Son, either now through faith, or with their knee knee bowed before Him, declaring Him Lord as they are cast into the lake of fire. Okay, but the same thing, this this um, justice, and we see this in the Psalms and some other places in Scripture that there's a justice of, uh, of God in, in that. Um, those who've been harmed um, become uh, uh, over and preside over the, the judgment of, of those who have harmed them. Okay. Um, does that make sense? Is that all right? Okay. Yeah, Emily. But it would only be for those who have been persecuted. Um, it, Yeah, between those who are martyred and those who just die in faith. Right. Um, there, There is, and people go different ways on this to say, is this just those who have died for their faith, just the martyrs, or does this also represent all believers who have experienced some kind of, all believers suffer some kind of persecution, mostly in most eras in most countries. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, you know, that's a toss-up that you don't want to, 
By the way, we got to see the professor and talk to him a bunch. I told him that you all know the expression, don't build a church over that. Uh, and he laughed when I told him. I said, my whole church knows that expression. You used to say to us when we'd ask you a question where you'd give us the best answer. And then you'd say, but don't build a church over that. Uh, so he thought that was funny. But um, yeah, so um, that's when we're, we leave it up in the air. I, t- I tend to say it, it's for all those who've been persecuted and with the martyrs being preeminent among that group but if it's just the martyrs i'm fine with that that is if i'm not martyred um (laughs) you know who who knows but yeah um so yeah so uh, chapter six there um so souls of those who've been slain um and, and they had maintained their testimony um and they're calling out how long until you judge and so you see that matching with chapter 20 here, how long are these people there? A thousand years. Um, and who's there? Well, those who've been martyred, beheaded or martyred. They've lost their lives for their testimony of faith in Jesus, for their refusal to bow down and worship anybody else who is not uh, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? Um and so, yeah, so back to chapter 20. Now, so that, that second half of verse 4 there, I saw the souls of those who've been headed because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. Um, and that could be even a capital W, perhaps, uh, John referring back to John 1.1. 1, 1. You know, the word was God, the word was with God, all that. Um, that could be a reference to Jesus. doesn't have to be, but it could be. It would make sense, especially coming from John. Um, and then it gets very specific to the original audience. What's the, what's the next sentence tell us about these souls of the dead who are around the throne of Jesus? They hadn't worshipped the beast. Yeah, so when's the beast exist? Now. Yeah, now, and also when? Then. Then, yeah. Okay, and so here we have a definition of when when... Uh, John talks about the, the beast. The, there's a dragon that shows up in chapter 12 and then the beasts that show up in chapter 13. Who are they and when are they? If we've got all our stuff together here, we see that these, these beasts, or at least this beast, the sea beast is the primary beast, is the beast that is um, being worshipped during John's day. Um, and that, that land beast who's telling everybody worship the sea beast, which is what we see in chapter 13, that there are those who refuse to do that and they wind up being beheaded and their souls being with Jesus are around his throne. Okay, see how that all works together. It all, all fits. It's all synced up together and, 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 and tied in. Um, it, yeah, so. That's mm-hmm. the, like, authorities and governments, right? Yeah. Are against Jesus. Yeah, and so this is one of the reasons we see, you know, one of the reasons we call the, the sea beast the government, okay? Uh, and not the government of the church, but the governments of the world. Now, for the original audience, that government was Rome. And Rome was saying, I will meet all your needs, okay? And so we need to be wary of that as Christians in all eras, when the government says, um, I will meet all your needs. 
um, because there's a, there's a, a and it's okay for government to do good, but um, government and people should recognize God meets my needs, and they should come to God and cry out to Him to meet their needs. And again, it doesn't mean He can't use uh, means. Agencies. He may meet your needs through mom and dad. He may meet your needs through an uncle. He may meet your needs through a neighbor. Um, and he can even meet your needs through the government. You know, Paul, Peter says, you know, governments are there to, to do good and to commend those who do right. Um, but but uh, government through the history of the world, as we see Old Testament and New Testament, um, tends to uh, be full of, of kings who say, we're all in all. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 4. Right? All this, I rule over the earth because of my greatness. Uh, and that's what governments tend, tend to do. Um, and that's what the government, during the days of the writing of the book of Revelation, was doing. Saying, you need to acknowledge me. And, and the theology of the Roman um, um, Caesar was that he was son of God come from heaven for a time to bless the people. That's the theology of the Roman Caesar. Son of God come from heaven to bless the people. And so you see in the, the Gospel of Mark, Mark's really aimed against that. And so he starts in chapter 1, verse 1, and says, this is the Gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. And Mark writes to a Roman audience. It's Peter writing through Mark right there in Rome and showing how Jesus is... The, the true Son of God come from heaven to bless the people, and you can run that through the Gospel of Mark real consistently all through all the all the paragraphs there, and, and see how that fits. Uh, but yeah, these people um, uh, had not worshipped the beast or his image. See, so that that strengthens us in our um, understanding that the sea beast was the Roman government at that time or any government who steps in their shoes and is like Nebuchadnezzar before them or Pharaoh before him that step, you know, any government that steps in and says, you must worship me is, is, a sea, is a sea beast kind of government and will typically be surrounded by those that say, you should worship the government and see the government will meet all your needs. You don't need God. Uh, and that's the land beast. He's the, the also called in Revelation, um, what? The false prophet. Yeah, he's proclaiming the excellencies of the government. Okay. Um, so they had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. Um, we've talked about before, if you did worship um, the, the Caesar, you got a, a what was called a libellus. And it was a, a little, um, it was like a driver's license. And you could show that you had done this. Therefore, you could be a part of the trade guild. And um, you could be open for business. And if you didn't, you didn't have a libellus. And you, you couldn't gather business. And so there's great economic hardship to you, um, if, you if you did that. But this, this mark contrasted with the mark that the, the angels put on the elect to protect them. Um, it, at the beginning of chapter seven, um, uh, seems seems to be that it would make that it makes sense that it's that given the original audience context. What mark would that beast that they were being told to worship? 
what mark was that government giving out as a reward for worshiping? And that was in history, in fact, just Livellus, where you got this certificate or a coin um, that said you had, you had given worship to Caesar and therefore you could, you had a, um, uh, a small business license. Yeah. And, and uh, John gets at that in a couple of the churches in chapters two and three. That, that idea that some, some of these Christians were being economically ruined because they weren't able to, it was like they were a scab. They weren't part of the union. They weren't part of the trade guild, so they couldn't gather business. But they needed to worship the beast or the emperor in order to get that um, business license. Yeah. This is more of a comment. Yeah. The consistency throughout the Bible where the angels will mark the believers is so consistent with Egypt and the marking of the doorposts. It's just, it, it blows my mind yeah. when people say there's inconsistencies in the Bible. Yeah. And you look at these types of consistencies yeah. that are so, I don't want to say micro, but, but they really are. They're a microcosm. It's, it would, it's virtually impossible yeah. to consider having many different authors without divine authorship to have this type of underlying consistency throughout the Substantive life. unity. Yeah. And, and so, you know, just as at the we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13, 14, or sealed with the Spirit of God, Revelation 7, first four verses there. You know, God says, don't do all this damage on the earth till I've sealed my servants. And then he seals his servant with his servants with his Holy Spirit. And it's very much like the blood on the doorposts of Passover night, 10th plague, that that's the sign that these within this, these doors are not to be harmed. Yeah. Uh, let's pray.